As grain supplies tighten and prices climb, farmers across the country see revenue potential that hasn't been common in years. But what strategies will help keep the good times rolling? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. So far, 2021 has been one of the best years for grain prices in the last decade. Farmers have taken notice and worked hard to capitalize on the opportunity, despite severe weather and trade risks that have arisen in the meantime. But is there more that producers can do to make sure they're positioned well, not just for today's opportunities, but for tomorrow's as well? Today, DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger joins us to talk about how farmers and experts are planning to keep the good times rolling with thoughtful decision-making around rents, land purchases, technology, and equipment. We'll also dig into evaluating inputs and return on investment in an up year, as well as how those considerations fit into marketing planning right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN Farm Business Editor Katie Dellinger and her team have been working on a series of stories about how farmers and experts are thinking about keeping the good times rolling with high grain prices. Katie, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background about what kind of went into planning the series of articles. What was kind of the the impetus behind it? Well, back in February, Sarah, when we were really looking at where the crop insurance guarantees came in, they landed at a really high level compared to previous years. I think we were around 450 to corn and 13 and change for soybeans. And so I was looking at that and I was just saying, wow, this is a really strong price. The market had really rallied since fall. The outlook for Chinese demand was robust. And we're saying, okay, there's real revenue potential in this growing season for farmers. And, you know, we started sort of brainstorming and planning back in in those early months of February, March, April, when, when farmers were still planting and the weather conditions were unknown. And so we, we kind of came up with the name then in a reference to revenues. And then as this crop season has developed, we've come to see this really devastating drought across the northwestern Corn Belt. Um, in some areas of the, the eastern Corn Belt, they've seen so much rain, it's it's been hard for them to deal with. It seems like Mother Nature's out to get the good crops, too. Um, so we're really 
you know, focused on the revenue side. I know keeping the good times rolling, it doesn't feel like good times for a lot of farmers out there. A lot of them are having their their struggles and those are a, a mental and emotional toll that, you know, you can't dismiss in agriculture. It may not be a good year from a the crops they're producing, but from a revenue perspective, even in those those years where there's a lot of drought and there are a lot of um, difficult situation, farmers still tend to perform well financially. And you look at where, you know, the crop insurance guarantees are, even if a farmer has only 70% of their, their corn crop guaranteed, they're still looking at a pretty good payment on that, even if they're not able to produce much. Sure, most farmers would far better prefer to produce for the market and to get what's being offered in the marketplace. Um, but when we look at revenues, this is one of the the best looking years since the the 2010 to 2013 ethanol boom. You know, we've seen some real ups and downs even during, you know, this relatively good, you know, price period. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, that uncertainty, that level of uncertainty, even if it's, you know, uncertainty between 650 to 650 corn and, and 550 corn, you know, but there's also potential for there to be a lot more uncertainty, you know, much bigger price dips or rises in the future. So I don't know, how are you and, and reporters you're working with the DTN thinking about just the level of uncertainty we're dealing with in the market right now? Well, I think that's a really great question and a thought, Sarah, because a lot of what's driving the market right now, especially for corn, but also for soybeans is China. And, you know, this time last year, I was writing stories covering, you know, the the chief economist at USDA saying they thought the second half of the year was going to be big for answering the question of whether or not China was going to fulfill those phase one trade agreement commitments that were, you know, even even then were astronomical. China did not meet them in the 2020 calendar year, but when they did decide to start buying, it had a massive imp impact on our markets. They really waited until prices were low and stocked up, stocked up, stocked up, stocked up. And they bought almost a billion bushels of corn for the uh, and just kind of took everyone by surprise, even though that phase one agreement was in place. And when you look at what China's supply and demand situation is looking like right now, they've got a hog herd that's rebounding from African swine fever. And they, they spent those years during the trade dispute drawing down on their stockpiles to make ends meet since they were not buying a lot of feed grains from the United States. They were getting most of it from Brazil and Ukraine and other places to kind of manage. But as they've seen those two things come to get together of their falling stockpiles and their rising demand, they're saying, we need feed grains. And so they've turned out to the world market to source that. China has long prioritized growing their own corn and trying to produce as much of that themselves and then buying soybeans on the international market. And what we've seen in the soybean market and outside of corn is that that demand has continued to keep up and this sort of growing hog herd is driving that demand. They've bought out Brazil, you know, almost the entire crop, and they continue to just keep buying and finding where can they source all the beans they need. They need to turn to the United States. And so with USDA forecasting an ending stocks estimate of about 155 million bushels, that's still a very tight supply situation for the United States. When you add in the drought that's going on in part of the country, you know, even if that takes 
10% or 15% off production estimates, that's a big chunk and that'll eventually play a role in what the ending stock situation looks like. So for soybeans, we're looking at a really tight picture going into the next growing season. We're going to have to have a large soybean crop again next year in order to meet demand because we're probably gonna have to dip into our own inventories to fulfill our export commitments. With corn, it looks like there may be a little bit more room, but then again, we don't really know all of that yet. We have to really figure out what the impact of this drought is going to be on our supplies. So the uncertainty here really comes from a couple of questions. Is China's demand going to keep up at this rate? And are we going to be able to produce enough crop to meet whatever demand they come to the table with? Or are we gonna be dipping into our, our inventories and lowering our stocks and creating a tighter sort of supply and demand situation in the season ahead? You know, China's phase one trade deal is only a two-year agreement. They've got last year and this year. We don't really know what they're going to be doing in the third year if they're buying ahead to sort of rebuild those stocks. Right now, most of the experts that I speak to say it looks like they're buying it to feed, that they're not stockpiling right now. Um, but, you know, it's China and it's very hard to see what they're doing and what their strategy and their game plan is. It's you know, they see enough going on um, in their, even in their political realm. Um, some of the, the their, their premier, essentially their, their vice president, their number two in charge has tried to publicly talk down the price of feed grains. Um, and this is something that shows it's an important issue to China. So for the time being, it looks like their demand is strong. But as U.S. farmers are well aware, China has a tendency to just stop buying, to make sudden movements, to, you know, reverse course very quickly. And being, you know, the communist economy and the controlled economy that they are, they can do that. And it can have really large ripple effects throughout the globe and throughout those markets. So we're looking ahead to the next year of having tight supplies, needing to produce another large crop in order to meet the demand, um, but then also, you know, questions about that demand longer term and how long it's going to stick around. So there's some uncertainty, maybe, you know, not as much in the next year, but in the years ahead about where that's going to go. So this is not an ethanol boom type situation where all of a sudden, we've got a 5 billion bushel corn demand growth to meet. Um, it's, a, it's a question of who is buying it in the world market and how long they're going to need to buy at the levels that they currently are. Yeah, the supply situation, the stock situation is, is yeah, certainly it seems to be posing some long-term uncertainty for, you know, U.S. farmers. But it, as you mentioned m several times at this point, as is the drought and, you know, even, yeah, you know, expanding out from the drought, just kind of weather in general with, you know, just inconsistent rains and a little bit of kind of too much moisture, you know, as of what has become kind of a, a recurring story, the, you know, some places are too wet and some places are too dry and somehow we just can't get those to match up. Right, right. It can't just be perfect for everyone. Every growing season has its challenges. I know there are farmers who have been in this industry for longer than I've been alive, and they, they're just kind of rolling their eyes. They're like, yes, we get what we get every year. It's kind of a hodgepodge. But they also know that their markets 
you know, while, while some in some ways they're very local as far as their basis and their cash price, they're also national. And so these things that are happening nationally affect the price of grain and affect their business and really affect their bottom line at the end of the day. And sometimes they get lucky when they are in one of those places that gets a lot of rain when when others are struggling and they get the price and they have a lot of bushels to sell. And then there are other years when they are on the other end of that equation and, and you know, they and they and they miss out. Um, agriculture is a cyclical industry, as are most commodities, where you know they have these periods of tight supplies and demand, where prices are good, and then they have um, times where there are surpluses. You know, like like we just recently have gone through the past seven, six, seven years have really been a grind for most growers, where they're really trying to sort of out bushel to make profits, where the more bushels they get, the more pennies they can collect here and there on everything that they grow. So farmers are really looking ahead to this year and saying, okay, we've got some revenue. We're, we're going to make positive profits this year for maybe the first time in almost a decade. Not quite. And so what we really tried to do in this series, Stara, is look at ways that they can take that money and and do the best they can for their business because agriculture is cyclical. We have uncertainty about how long this demand is going to stay around. How can they set themselves up for success is really what we try to explore in this series. So we've seen as part of this series, you know, one of the convers- one of the early uh, kind of conversations articles that came out was about rent and how to think about rent at this moment in time. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about just, you know, what are some things around maybe um, landlord interactions or renting ground, farmers who own land, renting it out. How can those um, conversations in a year like this help set them up for you know a little bit more success later on? That's a really good question, Sarah, because one of the things, I mean, rent and land expenses are usually one of the largest impacts to a farmer's bottom line. Um, when they're when they're setting out their crop budgets at the end at the beginning of the year, you know they've got their 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 seed and chemical costs, they've got their fuel, they've got their debt payments, they've got their land expenses, they've got their crop insurance premiums, they've got all these bills that they're going to have to pay, and they need to figure out what it's going to cost them on a on a per bushel basis or a per acre basis as far as revenue to break even or make money, and so last year, prices really started to rise in August. Well, in in some parts of the country, um, if you intend to renegotiate a a cash lease, like in Iowa, for instance, um, you have to give notice in September to the farmer. The landowner has to give that notice to to the farmer. And so a lot of those negotiations and conversations start happening in the fall around harvest, and usually they try and wrap those up uh, before planting begins. And so it was during that period last year that we saw prices begin to rise. There was a lot more uncertainty then even about how much China would buy. And in general, cash rents are a reflection of the prior year's agriculture economics, because you can look back and you can say, okay, you know, in the in the 2019-20 growing season, you can say, okay, our, our margins were slim. We didn't make a lot of money. The land market, um, as far as farmland values and equivalent sales are pretty steady to maybe lower. So, so what farmers do then is then they negotiate based off of that information. So cash rents have about, in general, a, a one-year lag to the ag economy. 
And so as we're going into that time frame this year, we've seen a dramatic change in commodity prices. We've seen a farmland market that when ground does come up for sale, it is going for very, very high rates. Um, in some instances at auctions, um, like in Northern Illinois, for example, a few months ago, some farm ground went for $11,000, $12,000 an acre, which is right at where it was in that peak of the ethanol boom. So we're seeing a lot of interest in the land market. Um, and that's a, that's a little bit of a different, um, there are some other factors there. Inflation is one, the general investment environment is another, but also this sort of high commodity price environment is playing a role in that. And so as we see more of the absentee landowners that really rely on the, the cash rent structure versus some of the crop share agreements um, that others prefer, they're, they're looking and saying, okay, the ag economy is doing well now. I want to have a share of that. I want to raise my rents this year. And for farmers, because of the uncertainty in sort of the longer term, you know, they say, okay, prices are good now. Where are they going to be a year from now? Where are they going to be two years from now? One of the things we learned from the ethanol boom is the farmers that really bid up and paid those high cash rents, you know, and it wasn't uncommon to hear, you know, oh, someone's paying $300 an acre in Illinois. Um, you know, those types of cash rents came back to really hurt those farmers a few years down the road when, when prices weren't so good, the landlords were expecting us that certain level of revenue. And so going into this year, the cash rent negotiations are going to be tough. And what we've heard from all the experts we talked to is that communicate, communicate, communicate um, for it for the farmers um, to talk to their landlords, to explain what their concerns are about the current market and environment, to say, you know, this is, you know, where we see ourselves headed. This is what the market looks like. Yes, we are profitable. Um, but really making sure your landlord understands your business economics is an important part uh, of sort of starting that conversation to keep that input cost at a level that's sustainable for your business. The more educated your landowner is, the more likely they are, are to understand what's a fair rent. One other piece of advice we heard um, from farmers and other folks is that in years like this where maybe the, the prices and revenues weren't as strongly predicted when that cash agreement was signed is perhaps maybe it's time to offer a bonus to your landlord of a certain number of dollars per acre or a percentage of profits or something like that to help um, sort of with that relationship saying, hey, I appreciate you, I recognize you, this was an outstanding year, etc. And some farmers are even going so far as, as ways to try to formalize that in their, their lease agreements, um, either calling them flexible rent agreements or variable cash rents, um, creating a system um, within their rental agreements for those bonus payments so that in years to come, landowners can plan around bonuses and farmers can plan around those bonuses and understanding what will happen in the years when there are issues with revenue, whether a farmer has a localized drought that doesn't reflect nationally or in the big corn price situation um, or in some of those situations where they have a really good year, they have a way to sort of reward the landlord and create sort of that equitable relationship to help keep things from sort of the runaway crop, you know, sort of the runaway rents that, that we saw in the 2010s. Absolutely. That's some great advice, uh, especially, yeah, as you said, rents are really the kind of foundational expense on a farm. But, you know, on top of that is is that other set of inputs 
uh, which was another story in this series kind of took into account and, and talked a little bit more about, um, you know, how did, how farmers are thinking about return on investment right now, uh, especially for, you know, trying to optimize a crop for the 2021 season, um, especially given the the prices that folks have, um, you know, achieved. And we can talk a little bit a little bit about marketing as well and how folks went into this marketing year. But yeah, talk a little bit more about how, you know, how should people be thinking about inputs during a really, you know, a year when maybe they don't feel like they need to be thinking quite so carefully about inputs? That's a really good question, Sarah. And input prices, farmers also know this, input prices rise really fast and are very slow to fall. And we saw that this spring when we saw these gigantic bounds and leaps higher in the nitrogen fertilizers that are used on the corn crop. We were seeing potentially more corn acres, looking at good corn prices, and farmers wanted to make sure they were putting on enough nitrogen to get the maximum bushels they could. But what we also saw was that farmers began investing and really putting money into some of the micronutrients, some of the the other nutrients that in years when times are tight, they might say, okay, there's still enough P and K in the soil. Um, I don't need to apply it this year. I'm going to save that expense from my budget. But every year they do that, that their, their sort of bank in the soil draws down a little bit. So what we saw was that farmers were putting out some of those, those fertilizer applications of, of those micronutrients and lesser nutrients that they had maybe skipped in prior years. So they're investing in that sort of fertility of their soil um, in that effort to get the best yields that they can. Because when you've got, you know, new crop corn prices with a $5 on it, you want to have as many bushels to sell as you can. And so what we're also seeing, um, because those input costs are rising and they're expected to stay high for the next growing season or two, at least, um, that a lot of farmers are, are, you know, this has been a trend that's been ongoing for a while. But I think the, the return on investment of variable rate applications are really making sense to growers right now. They're saying, OK, maybe I have time to to make the necessary equipment upgrades to really do this right. Or I've got a couple years of field maps. I can see how things are changing and where I need to do what. Let's start being very specific and intentional in our nutrient programs. And so that has some really good benefits to their bottom line because it saves on some of those input costs, but it also has the payoff in yields. So they're not putting on more, more inputs than they need to, and they're getting the best yield return for it for their dollars. So that's something that we saw a lot of growers do this fall or this spring as far as their, their nutrient plans to try and maximize on prices with the current input costs. What we are seeing in some of the areas where the crop is good, farmers are more likely to spend on fungicides this year. Um, trying to get those extra two to five bushels per acre when you've got prices like this, that can really add up to some significant revenue. And so there are a lot of those types of things going on from the agronomic perspective. Some of them have those longer term benefits, practices like variable rate when they're adopted year after year can really benefit the bottom line of growers. So that's one investment we're seeing folks make. But on the other side of that, as they grow these extra bushels, what we're hearing from our experts is that you need to still be disciplined in, in, in that marketing plan. Um, what, one of the sources I visited with for, for this story said, 
you know, point blank, it's like prices are good, but if you don't sell it, that's just an opportunity cost lost. That's not a price you're getting paid. And I think what happened a bit in in sort of the 2012 drought is as that market shot up and up and up, farmers said, okay, I'll put in an offer at my elevator at $8. And the market got to $7.98, $7.97 and never hit that fill. Farmers wanted to hit the top of that market. And then as that market fell, it fell sharply and they left those profits on the table. And so the experts that we visited with really strongly recommended sticking with a disciplined marketing program. When profits are on the table, make sales so that you are able to bring that revenue into your operation, that your emotional investment doesn't overseed or or overcome some of the rational decision making. Because if you don't sell the corn, if you don't sell your beans, you, you don't get that check and you don't get those prices. And so it's really a matter of knowing where your break even is and making sales accordingly in profitable ways. Um, so I know that at DTN, we have our six factor marketing strategies that are managed by our lead analyst, Todd Holtman. Um, he made several calls earlier this year and we've already priced out, you know, I think about half of our new crop corn production in areas that are not in drought. The recommendations were a little bit different for those for those growers. So it's really just sticking to your marketing plan. That was the number one most common thing we heard from the experts we visited with, was just don't, don't, don't try to hit the top every time. Just make sure that when you're selling, you're selling at a profit. It, it's so often that those kind of the inputs conversation, I think in farmers' minds is separate from the marketing conversation. But I think it's really important to, yeah, that note of, you know, you only know what is a good price to sell your crop at if you have a really, you know, intimate understanding of what your break even is and, and what kind of ROI you're looking for. So I think that's super valuable. Exactly. And if you look ahead to the year ahead, most of the experts I talked to said it's important to do some forecasting here too. If you anticipate your your land costs are going to rise. If you anticipate fertilizer is going to be more expensive, um, you need to recalculate your break evens because they're probably going to be higher than they were last year. And you know, I've interviewed um, Nathan Kaufman with with the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, and he made a really good point that you know, in in a few years, we might not be thinking about four dollar corn the same way we used to because you know, in general, for the past decade, $4 corn has been a a generally profitable level for farmers. Um, But if these input prices keep rising, that may no longer be the case. That's inflation at work. Um, And that's when farmers need to really just make sure they know their numbers so they know when they can sell and make a profit. And, And think about it in the year ahead as well, because there are some opportunities on the futures market. Um, and it's up to every farmer knowing their own situation, their own debt load, um, their own, you know, aspirations as a business, their own financial goals as to what makes sense for them as far as when to make sales. But it's not just knowing your break evens this year. It's forecasting a little bit into the year ahead. Katie, we'll be right back to you after this quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities, and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. 
need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. And we're back again. Joining us today is DTN Farm Business Editor, Katie Dellinger. Katie, I want to talk to, you know, I think the other half of that conversation is as things have looked up and and been pretty um, largely favorable in the markets this year, I think it's been a big time for folks to think about equipment and technology and kind of those other big purchases that maybe they've been putting off for a while. Um, but are looking at now is, you know, I can, I finally have, you know, the wiggle room that I need to make a big investment. How are you uh, thinking about, or, or, you know, from the research you've done, how are, should people be thinking about diving into some of those bigger, newer, you know, higher tech investments um, on the equipment side? So this is one of the trickier questions that's out there, Sarah. And as we, as we approach this, we, we kind of heard a couple of different things that I think are important to mention here. Um, that we know that a lot of farmers have delayed buying new equipment. They've repaired old equipment again and again and again. Um, they've, they've, you know, maybe not done the types of upgrades to things that, that they would do if they had had even modest profits. Um, but what we've also heard over the past, you know, seven years is that farmers have really drawn down their working capital, which is essentially, you know, the difference between their assets and their debts. Um, so what we've heard is, you know, it's the, the machinery and the equipment question is tricky and it's very specific to each farm. Um, generally, what what our experts told us as we were working on these pieces was that farmers need to improve their working capital. They, they need to build up some cash reserves because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, this is a short, the, the sort of upcycle here appears like it could be shorter than in some other instances. And so really making sure that as farmers make profits, that they save some of that, put it in their rainy day fund to help them weather tough years down the road. At the same time, these experts don't want them to do that at the expense of equipment. They just say you need to be very, very cautious in your purchases and be very thoughtful and intentional about what you want to do for your business. If you've been putting off a major repair or you've been repairing, 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 and it's it's time to replace, then, then that probably makes sense for your business to do that. However, they suggest do not use your um, capital reserves. Don't use your cash on hand to buy that. Continue to finance and maintain that cash cushion. Um, but they also want you to think very carefully about what that financing will do to your cash flow for the term of that loan, which for equipment can be anywhere five to seven years um, for a new piece of equipment. And so really being able to pencil out, okay, if I buy a new combine because I've been running the same one for five years and I'm sick and tired of, of fixing it every every month, um, saying, okay, I need to buy this new piece of equipment. It's going to add great efficiency to my operation, um, but it's also going to come with a, a monthly or, or an annual payment of X. And so you have to spread that across, that, across your acres and add that into your break even. Um, so that you're really making sure you know where you have to sell your grain in order to cover all of those costs and cover them down the road. Five years from now is much harder predict to predict than one year from now. 
Um, so making sure you're really thinking through that analysis in depth and close when you're talking about machinery. One thing that farmers tend to do when they have a high income year is that they want to offset it for their tax purposes. They want to not pay taxes. And so sometimes what they'll do is they'll go out and buy a piece of machinery and use their, their section 179 and their bonus depreciation. And okay, they, they, they greatly reduce their tax bill. But by buying it with sort of that aim in mind, they've used up all their tax benefit in the first year of that purchase. And then they still have principal and interest payments for years to come. And so it's really, if you're going to buy equipment, not doing it solely to reduce the tax bill, not doing it just to, to, to not pay Uncle Sam. Um, one, of, one of the sources I visited with said, you know, paying tax is a good thing. It means you made money and it means your business is doing well. And so thinking about it, those equipment purchases strategically um, is smart. One of the other interviews that I thought was really a great part of this series, Sarah, um, Joel Richenberger, who is one of our photographers and writers for the Progressive Farmer magazine, visited with David Hula, who is the Virginia grower who is known for holding the world record corn yield. And, and Joel asked him, you know, if you could invest or if farmers invested in one thing equipment wise for their farm, what gets the best return on their dollar? And David Hula's response was anything that helps with even emergence of the crop, because in his experience, that is what tends to lead to the best yields. So thinking about these large capital purchases in terms of what they do to your farm and how that plays through to your yields and to your costs is an important thing for farmers to think about because, you know, retrofitting a planter may be less expensive than buying an entire new new combine or tractor set. You know, thinking intentionally about those purpose, purchases, what their purpose is, where it adds to the business and where it builds efficiency. There are other types of capital purchases that farmers are looking at right now. And, you know, there's a little bit of different advice that we heard from folks on, on different elements there. And one of those is land. When, when farmers tend to have a little money in their pocket and prices are good, they say, okay, adding land to my operation, I can grow more bushels. I can, you know, maybe it's that quarter right next door has finally come up for sale. And the experts really suggested being thoughtful for that because as a some of the bankers I visited with especially said that that as a banker they can usually make that transaction make sense for a farmer in in the in the big picture of their operation but that long-term cash flow is really what farmers need to ask themselves about whether it benefits and fits with their goals and their business intentions so being cautious and thoughtful in in those large purchases like land the other thing farmers tend to invest in when times are really good um, and when they have some cash in the pocket are, are buildings, farm shops and um, grain bins. And, and most of the, the experts we talked to said that those tend to really pay for themselves, especially bin setups that either add capacity of storage or aid renovations that aid efficiency. You know, what we saw in, in the big ethanol boom was that farmers put up a lot of on-farm storage 
It allowed them to meet ethanol plants on time demands for delivery. It allowed them to market better to their basis to really capture, you know, an extra 20 cents here, an extra five cents there, and all of that adds up. And so what we heard was that, you know, grain bins and grain storage expansions tend to be a very popular investment when farmers have some money in their pocket, but they also tend to pay for themselves fairly quickly in how it improves the efficiency of that business. Especially after, you know, uh, it wasn't that long ago that we were, you know, experiencing a derecho. And I think a lot of farmers, especially, you know, in Iowa are um, making some of those investments. And I wonder if you're, you know, as you're thinking about whether that's equipment, whether that's buildings, you know, there's for for any kind of investment, you know, this goes to inputs as well. There's also, it feels like well, 100 new offerings every day. That's an exaggeration, but in the, you know, a lot of opportunities to add a technology element, whether that's a software, whether that's, you know, a sensor or some kind of, you know, way to automate or, you know, get a little bit more data or information. Um, are you in conversations you've had with farmers and other experts? Is this a, is this the time to look into some of that, those opportunities or is, you know, how are people thinking about that in this moment? Well, with some of those data and technology investments, what's really interesting here is it requires a different kind of capital. Um, yes, there is a dollar tag um, that comes with every piece of, of software or sensor that you might be thinking about, but it also comes with the human capital cost. And, and right now, a lot of the data that's coming in for farmers the, the platforms don't talk to each other. So you might be able to get really good data on your planter, um, but how does that play into your accounting software? How does that um, talk to another, you know, maybe different pieces of your operations? So there's a human cost to that of managing that data and that technology. And so as farmers maybe are looking at some of the ways this could benefit them, they also have to think about their business's capacity to manage that data and who on their operation is the best person to do that, how they can do can manage their, their human resources wisely in that aspect. But it is something we are hearing from farmers about, that there are some different types of, of solutions out there that are coming to market that maybe do provide opportunities um, to, to sort of expand in some of that, that technology aspect that, that can have payoffs. It's a little bit harder to determine the return on investment for some of those. In some cases, what farmers have to think about is, is time. Is this costing me more time or is this saving me time? Um, is it helping me make a decision quicker or is it making it harder? And so the, the aim of most of the data that's out there is to help farmers make better decisions. And so it's one of those where it's it's very individualized to the farm as to what's going to mo make the most sense for investment. You know, when, when farmers do have a few extra dollars in their pocket, they are more likely to experiment with some of those things to, to see, you know, are our sensors here really going to help me make better decisions? They might take a test field and say, all right, let's try it here before investing on it across their entire operation. As you look to the next several months, um, you know, with with weather uncertainty in mind and with kind of trade and export uncertainty in mind and supply uncertainty, um, you know, what factors are you watching most closely? Are there signals to watch for of like, you know, there might be a change on the horizon? Is that even worth thinking about? How, how do you think how are you thinking about the next couple months to maybe a year? 
So in, in my conversations with Todd Holtman, our lead analyst, um, he, when I, I asked him sort of this question specifically, Sarah, I was like, but I asked him um, very closely to, to grain prices. I said, where do you see support for, for corn and soybean prices? And, you know, he said that the, the $5 level in corn has really strong support under as far as new crop goes. So after harvest, when we're looking at those post-harvest prices, he still anticipates corn with a five in front of it and soybeans with a 12 in front of it. And so for farmers who have been looking at eight or nine dollar soybeans and three dollar corn, those are significant price changes. Yes, they're lower than what we've seen for a lot of this summer, um, especially on the on the spot and cash corn and bean market. Um, but those are still at profitable levels for producers. And because of where we sit with our supply situation, um, demand where it where it's anticipated to be, it appears that those prices will be around for at least another growing season or two. And so that's where we sort of focused our um, reporting on this series is what you, what can you do right now, you know, to improve that bottom line or to set yourself up for some success whenever this upcycle changes. You know, if, if next year we get to planting time and we've got large, let's say it's really, really wet across parts of the country and we have large amounts of prevented planting, are we going to have another tight supply situation? Um, that's Those are great things to be watching for because it, it's going to take us a while to sort of grow ourselves out of this slow or the short inventory situation, unless there's an issue where demand really drops off. Although most of the people I've visited with don't expect that to happen within the next year. So we're looking at this growing season and maybe next year where farmers have some pretty profitable prices on the table. Um, and they just need to be thinking, you know, and remembering that agriculture is cyclical and what they can do to to make the most of it so that their businesses are, are prepared for whenever the price price tide turns into something that's maybe more of a grind where it's tougher to pencil out a profit, either by, you know, cutting their expenses, um, increasing their yields um, are some of the great ways that they can prepare for that um, eventuality by making those investments in their business. I think that's a, a powerful piece of just, you know, general advice at this moment in time for, for farmers looking ahead to the season. I am curious as a final question, um, any stories that you are watching that you related to this or, you know, broadly related to anything in ag that you are excited about, interested in, curious about right now? Oh, you know, there's some, some really, there are, there are lots of them, Sarah. I think, um, one of the things that I'm interested in um, is, is cybersecurity. We saw a couple of major hacks this year, ransomware issues at, at JBS and the Colonial Pipeline. And I think one thing farmers need to be thinking about right now is what's their cyber vulnerability? Because I have visited with farmers who have been struck by ransomware and their books were held hostage. Fortunately, the one that I really know the best, you know, had kept multiple sets of books. So they didn't have to pay the ransom to get it back. But there are different types of vulnerabilities in your business that you can manage. It just takes a little bit of forethought 
using strong passwords, um, making sure you're, you're using your internet wisely. Um, as these technologies evolve and everything has more of this internet connectivity, there are some vulnerability points there that farmers should think about. So that's, that's one subject that I think is going to be interesting um, for farmers to watch. Also something they can do to, to make their business a little bit better right now with very little investment is just sort of think through their, their cybersecurity and their, their vulnerabilities from that aspect. I'm also really gonna be watching what happens with trade as we get to this end of the, the phase one trade deal. Um, it seems like the Biden administration uh, is kind of taking a similar stance as the Trump administration. They're not looking to do much change. I haven't heard much as far as talks regarding a longer term deal on tariffs. And so what happens when we get to the end of this trade deal? What's next? Then I think the next big thing that is on every farmer's mind is what's going to happen to the tax environment with some of the different proposals that are out there from the Democrats. Are we going to see changes in the, the step up in basis that could have a big impact on how farmland transfers from one generation to the next? Um, I think that's that's something that is is you know, would change or, or force a lot of farmers to really rethink their estate planning. I think there are concerns around there that are tangible. But then again, we don't know what's going to happen there until some legislation moves and gets passed. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on, because I think the tax situation for farmers is one that is always um, important to their business. It's something they have very little control over on a year-to-year -year basis, except for knowing what the rules are and planning accordingly. To read more of the Keep the Good Times Rolling series or Katie Dellinger's reporting, visit DTNPF.com or subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Katie Dellinger. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.